Bring it in. Read option back after the first two rounds of March Madness has ended. And uh, the madness, it was tons to get to. Lots of interesting stuff. Uh, one of the weirder first two rounds of the tournament. Uh, I know I have some thoughts. Uh, Scotty is here. Vito is off playing golf somewhere in Florida. Oh, you, tough life, huh? We gotta, we gotta put like an Apple tag on him because I just at any given moment I'm just like, where are you? What are you doing? What's happening? Uh, but Scotty's here. I know the the first two rounds of the tournament. This is one of your favorite sports weekends of the year. It's one of my my favorite as well. Uh, and we had a whole lot of action here in the first couple of days. So how you doing? You also mixed in a trip up to Happy Valley. Uh, not I to did, see, yeah. Not to see anything Penn State related. Uh, but you did see arguably my favorite musician of all time, Bruce Springsteen. So we're going to wrap up the pod with some Q and a stuff for Scotty about his first Springsteen experience. Uh, Cause there's, it's, it's unlike anything else for those who have seen it. So for anyone who's not interested in that conversation, you can log off after the, uh, the college sports and the college basketball talk. But uh, how was your weekend, man? You were covering all right. Yeah, it was good. So, you know, I just did my thing and at the uh for the tournament on thursday and uh and most of friday you've you've been here before in my basement you've seen my setup we have four screens going at once uh one for each channel um so i was doing that for a good 12 hours on uh, on thursday and then uh, like i said most of friday um and uh and yeah we we got every game in uh in in the first round saturday i was a little bit out of commission as you said i was a uh, up with my lovely wife uh, in uh, in State College, Pennsylvania, watching the boss. Um, but I would check here and there. But yeah, man, it's it's crazy. It's it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Even the schedule, right? I, I know I was texting you and Vito on uh, on Thursday, I believe, talking about how it didn't feel like you know when we got to the twelfth game of sixteen on the day um, that it felt like that at all because it was it got to what it was something like seven thirty eight o'clock, and I was like. I feel like I haven't watched any basketball today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it um, is weird. Like I, I ended up having, to, so I was working at the bar. I had to open the bar on Thursday. So the first like two and a half games, the first, the first full game happened as I was working. I was done by the time the first game ended. So I got to watch the ending. I was watching the games while working because we weren't super busy. And what an opener that was. Yeah. Maryland I mean, and West Virginia. Maryland I mean, West geez. Virginia was a great game. And then immediately after you had UVA and Furman. Right. And, you know, I said yeah. I had Furman getting to the Sweet 16. So at least they didn't quite make it. But at least they, you know, they had a good run. Uh, I called that my my bracket after day one. I went 15 of 16 in my top bracket on the first day. The bracket I did on this pod, I believe I went 14 of 16 on the first day. So I was like, man, like I'm sitting rolling. Uh, and now here we stand after the first full weekend and all of my brackets yeah. are, are trashed. Um, you, not uh, be, well, go ahead. Yeah. You usually don't do a ton, right? It's just a, a I do, handful maybe of brackets. I do three. Typically the three that I do is I'll do the three, like three. And, and it's usually the one that I think is going to happen. My upset bracket where I just like pick the upsets that I want to see. And then I typically do a Villanova bracket where I have Villanova winning, winning the whole thing. Um, so. This year, obviously, no Villanova. I did do a third bracket, but that was the read option bracket because I was in a pool that everyone did too, and then I did the read option bracket. And that one is has very quickly been turned to, to dust, sadly, for, for me. Um, the one, the, one of the ones I did for the pool, though, I, I was doing really well until even through Saturday. Like I, had, I still had like 1,650 points available left. Like I still was in a really good spot. Um, and then unfortunately, uh, after that, uh, TCU yesterday and Marquette yesterday, I had both of them yeah. in my final four and those, those were killers. The, yeah. Those were daggers. And I said this too, I was like, whoever wins TCU Gonzaga, I think is going to make the final four. And I still believe that, um, that was such a great game. I hate that it was the last game of the night. I ended up the backdoor cover. Uh, <laughs> oh, an all-time backdoor cover. An all-timer, for sure. I mean, that's like one of the craziest backdoor covers you'll see, where like he let the ball bounce all the way up court, and then he basically had to like Steph Curry heave it from like a deep three range, and 
it went in so quick and everyone was like, wait, did that go in? Does that count? And uh, I saw like Stanford Steve and some other people had part of my take had started recording at that point. So that's a really fun listen. If you go listen to that point when it hits, because I guess big cat had had TCU plus four and a half. So when that hit, his reaction was fantastic. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'll say this. And we had talked about this kind of going, getting into the um, or previewing the pod last week. I had a hunch that at least my overall prediction for the, for the tournament this year was like, it was going to be a really weird tournament, right? Mm-hmm. Because Alabama seems to be clearly the best team out of everybody. It still seems like that. Um, Houston uh, looked a little shaky against Northern Kentucky, looked much better against Auburn. And the second half at least looked away. The first half against Auburn, that game was super close. And then they blew the doors off in the second half against Auburn. Um, but other than Alabama, it really feels like nobody has looked that good. Every team has looked beatable. I feel like you could make an argument that like the second, the two best teams, at least just eyeball test wise outside of Alabama have been like Creighton and Xavier. Kansas state. Yeah. I, mean, I would it, say Kansas even, state. Yeah. Kansas state, but even Kansas state was in it to the end against Kentucky. Tennessee's looked really good. Um, but they also yeah, had to fight, but they had to fight tooth and nail. They only won by three against Louisiana. Um, Kansas state is a really, really fun team. Michigan state has looked really good. I think you could make a case that they've looked like the, the second or third best team in the tournament. Like there hasn't been, a, I mean, UCLA has, has kind of cruised for the most part too, but the injury bug keeps beating them. So, I mean, it, it's interesting that we're kind of sitting here after the weekend and it feels like, yeah, no, it's Alabama and everybody else because that's how it's felt. And at the same time, and this is the other thing that's made this weekend weird. It was the least number of upsets in the first round. I think in the last like 20 something years, like I forgot what the exact stat was, but it's, it's been, it's one of the most chalky uh, first, but, you know, first weekends we've had, Yeah, but the but upsets, the, the upsets we, we did, did have, have. Yeah. was, oh, man. yeah, I mean, we had a 13 seed, uh, in Furman, we obviously had Princeton, who's dancing in the Sweet 16. And then the biggest one, uh, and the one we can talk about here, which is fairly Dickinson becoming the second 16 seed ever to knock off a one seed. Uh, and what was just a fantastic – and then they sh- – I still think they should have beaten FAU yesterday. That game on Sunday, man, like just watching it, I'm just – I mean, at one point they were up like seven points. It felt like every time FAU scored – you know, fairly Dickinson had a good response. That kid Roberts uh, has just, was just a stud for them. I felt like, but then there was that one little stretch with about five minutes left in the second half, the FAU just got up. Like, I think it was eight. And then from there, it was just like every opportunity that fairly Dickinson had FAU kind of closed the door, but what a story nonetheless. I mean, second 16 seed. And if you go by the, the, the Ken Palm and the net rankings and stuff, a significantly bigger upset than UMBC knocking off UVA. Oh yeah. And and to to be sure, this was a team fairly Dickinson that, that out of the, out of the Northeastern conference uh, finished second in their conference tournament. They got to go because Merrimack had the probationary period on them for just joining the conference. So fairly Dickinson somehow finds their way into the tournament because of this, this obscure rule um, and and goes on and beats what, what many thought were uh, was probably the most gettable one seed, but in Purdue, but, uh, but for, for all that, that for all that that's worth, I mean, honestly, what the job they did against Purdue uh, being able to to limit Zach Eady. Zach Eady didn't have a touch uh, or a point rather in in the last seven minutes of the game. That can't yeah. happen if you're Purdue, right? And I said that when, when we were previewing the entire bracket. They're nothing without that guy on the floor scoring for you. Uh, and and he did his thing on defense, did it on the glass. But if he's not touching the ball and scoring, I, I told you that weakness was them trying to trying to make things happen without him on the, on the three point line. And that's exactly what fairly Dickinson did was limit Edie and then go down on the other end and just shoot the lights out of the ball. they did an, a really unbelievable job at that with their speed. Yeah. And, and I had Memphis winning, um, it, it beating Purdue in the second round in our, uh, I think I had that. Yeah. I think that was the, the, the bracket we did for, for the, for the podcast. But the yeah. fact of the matter is too, like Memphis gets screwed over by a terrible call, uh, in that game. And then FAU moves on and then FAU who is, 
in any other year would have been a lovable underdog going up against the big bad one seed, then becomes one of the most hated teams in the country between like the dunk attempt at the end of the game. Oh yeah. Like, that was you know, ridiculous. Like it's just, I, I get it. But at the same time, like you just don't have to do that. Um, but Purdue, I mean, what was so interesting is like Zach Eady, not only like, was he a, obviously a huge factor when he was off the floor, but fairly Dickinson's the shortest team in the country, not just yeah. in the tournament in the country right so that size disadvantage and it felt like because fau has their big seven footer you know on a not unathletic but like the slow moving seven footer where it's like it, fairly dickinson did such a good job of getting the ball passed around pushing the ball in transition forcing zach Eady and then the big guy from fau as well to come out and meet their guys at the perimeter and then it's like that's such an easy blow by because those guys are so big and so slow and, yeah. and all of Fairleigh Dickinson, like, I don't, I think their tallest player was like six, 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 seven. So it, it was very easy for Fairleigh Dickinson to just blow by Zach Eady because fairly it, easy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Because it was honestly like, it was a pretty good matchup for them in terms of the way that they can yeah. play. And, and but, Purdue, the thing is too, and this is the big thing with, in that matchup, at least was Fairleigh Dickinson said, the only way you're beating us is if you you're making your shots from three, like we're going to play up yeah. tempo. We're going to push the ball. We're going to get to the rim because we're going to force in transition guys like Zachy to come out and meet us at the, at the, at the perimeter. And then we're going to blow by them. We're going to get open looks or we're going to drive and kick and get wide open threes. Fairly Dickinson made more threes. Purdue wasn't hitting their threes. And then it seemed like that's all she wrote. Like it was that quick. It was done. Yeah, and, and that's the recipe. We saw that, you know, a little bit in the uh, in the Penn State game uh, in the conference championship between uh, Penn State and Purdue. Was we were that was sort of the the, the formula, right? Get and the the difference is that Fairleigh Dickinson plays faster than Penn State did, so uh, they could beat them with the speed. With us, it was just hey, get the ball into Jalen Pickett's hands, back him down, spend every second of the thirty on the shot clock, um, and then go get your points. Um, and between that and and our guys not being able to hit threes, that was the story of that conference championship game. But Fairleigh Dickinson did it with with speed, and they did it with with driving and and attacking the the lane, and then kicking out, and and they were they were able to shoot really effectively too. Just a really good performance by them. I thought it was cool too. Like three of the starters, and I think six of the guys on that team came with their coach from D two school, which I, I forget the name of the, the school he was at before. Um, but so essentially half of this roster and, and the starters that were more than half of the starters that were on the floor for Fairleigh Dickinson were playing D2 basketball this time last year, you know, and, and it's a really good reminder to, you know, to, to the level of talent that we have in this sport. And you see it in the NBA all the time. Like there's more, there's something like 30, there's over 30 different 20 point per game scores in the NBA right now. Right. And that trickle down effect of how many guys are playing basketball, the accessibility to the sport with public courts, right? Like more and more guys are playing basketball. There's more money being put into the program and college basketball as a product has way more, um, the one and done era where it feels like, you know, five or six schools have all the talent, like that's long gone. Like NIL has a huge, huge part of that. Uh, the parody in college basketball has has become more and more prevalent. And even though, yeah, like we we didn't see a lot of first round upsets, the upsets we did see Princeton being another great example. I mean, that the, the way Princeton not I mean, they they won that game comfortably uh, against Arizona. Like the whole second half was like all Princeton. And every time Arizona scored, Princeton had a huge response. And then they go up against Missouri, who we said leading up to like Missouri can't play defense worth a shit. Apparently that's also goes against Ivy league schools, 78 points against Missouri. That game was over and by the time, yeah. like what, two minutes into the second half, Princeton had complete control of that game. Missouri went ice cold from three. Uh, and there was just not a doubt. And, honestly this Princeton team plays really good sound basketball the ball movement around everybody is fantastic Creighton I do think has been one of the teams that's looked the best here uh this season I mean they handled Baylor very well they handled NC State very well uh I think I mean it sucks at least for them they're gonna have to go up against Alabama if they want to try to make the final four but with the way that they can pour it in from the outside and they have some length and athleticism I think Creighton's become one of these teams and you called it, Scotty. I was down on Creighton. Creighton's become one of those teams where like, you got to watch out. Cause I think they could put at least, at least scare Alabama uh, if they get past Princeton and make their way to the elite eight. 
Yeah, I, and I and I think Creighton is is right at the top of that list. One of the things that that I think is interesting about the style of play this year. Usually in college, you see a bunch of mid range uh, game, a little more balance on the floor. Get it to your big guys because usually you might have a guy who's bigger than uh, the the biggest guy on, on the on your opponent's team. Uh, and it's it's less about the the perimeter shooting and and what you're doing off the ball uh, on that. This year, you look at the Sweet 16 field, uh, say for Alabama, because they're the most balanced team in the world. They can do whatever they want at any time they want. San Diego State, Creighton, uh, Princeton, Florida Atlantic is right up there at the top of the list with, with Creighton in this regard uh, that I'll get to. Kansas State, um, Houston, Xavier, UConn, they all do the same thing. It's the hell with the mid-range game. We we don't care about that anymore. We've got big athletic guys who can beat you on the inside, but we're going to take our threes. And if it's not driving into the lane uh, and 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 getting using our speed to beat you, it's going to be on the outside. And that's how these teams have gotten here. That's been the recipe. And I think Creighton's right up there at the top of the list. As I said, they just have a, a, an unbelievable swath of of shooters uh, on that team, and they can score with anybody. So I do think you're right that they're going to give, uh, well, assuming they move on here against Princeton, but that's going to be a high scoring game too. I feel it like. could. Well, and, and this is a good time to bring up as well. Um, this has been far and away one of the worst shooting performances across the board in NCAA tournament history. Uh, the, the numbers for three point shooting this, I, I think it's like less than thir- I think it's like 30.5% somewhere in that ballpark um, across the tournament so far. And, you know, I've read some people complaining about the ball changes and they know they had to adjust the rim in some places, but for whatever reason, three point shooting in this year's tournament has been down across the board, which, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't, but I also think that's a big reason why we didn't see as many upsets in the first, in the first round. Yeah. Right. Because there was no team like a Louisiana or Providence or a Montana state. I mean, like Furman, even like Furman did all of their damage shooting threes, the way that they beat UVA was taking it to the rack, right? UVA was pushing them and pressing them out to the perimeter and they were having in cut back cuts, getting around guys, forcing their way in and getting to the line. There's been more foul calls uh, in this tournament and there's been more guys getting to the line in this tournament than I can remember. I feel like the officiating as a whole hasn't been as bad as I've thought in, in years past, but there were multiple times over the last four days that, I've sat there and thinking like, all right, yo, can we swallow the whistle? Like, can we, can we let this play out? Like there's just too many stoppages. Let's go. (laughs) And then every stoppage leads to another commercial break. And it's just, it's too much of the stop and go. But I think a big part of that is it's like, other than like Kansas, Kansas state, uh, Noel, the the point guard there, who's Mm -hmm. I think been the most fun player to watch in this tournament so far, uh, you know, he pulled up a couple things, but Kansas State was 0 for 14 from three before Noel hit this crazy step back three. And then he ended up hitting three more in the second half that ended up, but they were 0 for yeah. 14 and, and about and five the- minutes into the second half before Kansas State hit their first three. I, I, it feels like it's been that way across the board. Yeah, in the same region, what Michigan State won to get into the Sweet 16, there were something like two of 16 from three. Yeah. And and Michigan State's a team where it's like they live and die by the three. So, I mean, the one thing that's at least you could if you're making the counter argument, you'd say, hey, well, teams aren't get aren't aren't pouring it in from three as much as they normally would during the tournament. But teams are also finding alternate ways to win, which I think is really, really cool. Right. Like, I, I think like a team like Michigan State, like they were dominant on the glass. Uh, I had Marquette, you know, Marquette was one of my teams, their team that, again, lives and dies by shooting a lot of threes, making a lot of threes on the perimeter. Uh, Marquette was just ice cold. And it feels like it's been that way across the board. Uh, you know, Tennessee, and then you look at the teams who have made it, right? Uh, it's teams like Tennessee, right? Tennessee, who just played bully ball with Duke. And that game on Sunday, like, they just beat the shit out of Duke. Like, that's all it was. They were just bigger, stronger, tougher, and they, they played better defense. They bodied them on the glass. That team moves on. Uh, Kansas State, they were tougher than Kentucky. Now, again, Noel made a couple of ridiculous shots and plays for them to get them in. But Michigan State, uh, Gonzaga, right, that game against TCU, that's a high-scoring game. Neither one of those teams played great defense. But Gonzaga had Drew Timmy hit a couple of shots on the outside. But for the most yeah, part, it was your favorite. <laughs> fuck that guy. 
Um, but other than that, it was a lot of passes to the interior. It was, in, you know, it was internal basketball. It was getting offensive rebounds. Like I feel like this year more than that, UConn's another great example, right? St. Mary's oh, yeah. was dancing around the outside a ton, but UConn was just bigger, stronger, and more athletic. And they were getting to the rim and then getting their misses and easy putbacks. It feels like this has been the tournament of easy putbacks and strong rebounding, uh, which I think bodes well for your pick of like Houston getting all the way to the finals. Like I think Houston is a team that's kind of built to be able to win that way. Uh, they're going to have a tough test with Miami because Miami is one of the few teams that has shot. I mean, they came out like with their hair on fire against Indiana, but other than that, most of these teams have struggled from deep and it's forced them to find different ways to be able to score points in advance. Yeah. It, like I said, a lot of a lot of these guys are doing it with the with or trying to do it with the three, but it's it's the like you said the the um, the the ability to to do it like driving the lane, right? You see this in the NBA too. It's guys not just like John Morant or Steph Curry just sitting out there waiting for a three uh, to cherry pick. Jason Tatum, same thing. Those are guys who can dribble, drive, and, and get uh, aggressive, right? That's the st- sort of thing that we haven't seen in college, where it was just like. Uh, we're we're gonna feed it to the post and uh, and and just have our our big guys post up, or it's gonna be hey, uh, you know, run run a high screen here and then get a good fifteen to eighteen foot shot off. And you're not seeing that a whole lot. Was my no, point. no, you're not. Um, it's been a very weird tournament. Obviously, like your your guy Funk was it Andrew Funk? Is that Drew Funk? So I went, goes by Andrew I mean, Funk. Yeah. Yeah. He was lights out in that game against AM and Penn State was cruising. Um, tough matchup against Texas in the second round. I, I would have yeah. loved to see Penn State be, you know, uh, you know, maybe like a, it, it's tough because they just didn't have the season for it. But, you know, if they could have been in a situation like, a, like Iowa State or even like Pitt, right? Where, you know, because I think they could have beaten. Uh, Iowa State, and then I think they probably would have given Xavier a better chance. They yeah. ended up just go, going a little cold there in the second round against Texas. Uh, well, but all, and all in all, you have a... to be you have to be stoked, right? I mean, first tournament oh, win in how many years for Penn State um, uh, since two thousand one? Yeah, I mean, got twenty two years since the last <laughs> time Penn State had a yeah. tournament win. I used to work with your boy yeah. John Crispin, who was legendary Penn State hoops player. Yep, uh, awesome guy himself, but. Uh, great run for them. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's just been a weird tournament. I don't know, man. It's just been a weird tournament. Yeah. Well, anytime Penn state wins uh, on a big level in basketball, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a it's weird, a weird tournament, but, but yeah, man, I, that game was tight too, right? It, it ended up being a five point game. The thing that beat us was we did get a little cold shooting the ball. And then, then uh, the, the Achilles heel uh, with the size, we weren't able to out rebound the length and athleticism of Texas. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, which so. which but is it was a kind hell of, of a run, and that's yeah, it was it was a great run. It was awesome to see Penn State there. Um, couple of follow ups here as well. Uh, you know, I rolled in with the rolling with the Big Twelve. That was kind of my 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 uh, I don't want to say my goal, but it was just kind of was like my biggest hunch. Um, and we are down to only two Big Twelve teams remaining. Uh, we have uh, Texas, and of course we have Kansas State. But no Baylor, they dropped yesterday. No um, uh, TCU, they lost that game to Gonzaga. Uh, disappointing year, not disappointing tournament given the year that the Big 12 has had. Obviously, Kansas, uh, we haven't even talked about Kansas losing to Arkansas in the second round. That is one that I gave out, just so I uh, want to remind everybody, did have Arkansas knocking off Kansas in the second round. Uh, the must bust, ripping his shirt off. What a scene. Looking like a 17 at Sawgrass there. But, uh, all, I mean, all in all, like a lot of chaos, um, but disappointing turnouts right now from both the Big 12 and the Big 10. I mean, it's it's it yeah. seems like we say this every year, right? Big 10 has this awesome bunch of teams in the dance, right? This is going to be the year you get a one seed. And uh, now we're staring down like we always do. Tom Izzo and Michigan State's the last team remaining from the Big Ten. It's, I mean, we're going on tw- 2001 was the last time we saw a, a Big Ten team win the national championship. It was the 01, it was the 2000 and 2001 season, I believe. And that was mm-hmm. Tom Izzo in Michigan State in like his fifth or sixth year there. And now here we are 22 years later. We can't even get more than one Big Ten team in the Sweet 16. What's going on? 
I, look, this I have the same questions when we hit bowl season, right? The similar type of pattern happens uh, where we we get a bunch of teams in bowls that are all bowl eligible in football, and then uh, we have a bowl record of something like three and nine or something like that. And it's just like, how did that happen? I thought we were really good top to bottom. And it really ruins the argument of where the most balanced conference in, uh, in, in whatever sport, basketball or football uh, top to bottom, like the most parody, everybody's got the most com- competition um, and, and we beat ourselves up, which is what, what the problem is. Uh, no, man, just that. that is it the problem or, is, goes it, or is it the recruits? Like, you know, and I'll say this. I don't think it's fair to compare the bowl because the bowls just don't matter like they used to. Right. Like if we're talking about like 2005, the bowl record being bad in the Big Ten, then sure. But yeah, the, no, you yeah. know, as well as I do, the bowls just don't matter to the extent that they used to just because you're not getting the same players and it, it sucks. But the bowls just aren't the bowl records for conferences, I think, is one of the most overrated things that people talk about. The tournament is different. This is a chance. This is your bite at the apple. This is the dance. This is how you get to a national title. You have to perform well here. You don't have to perform well in the bowls to still be a relevant college football conference. You have to play well in the tournament in order to still be a relevant college basketball conference, which is why I think even though, yes, it's another year, another disappointment for the Big Ten, I think it's a bigger disappointment for the Big 12. I mean, you were the conference. You were the conference to beat all season. Everyone's saying whoever's going to win the national championship is probably going to come out of the Big 12. And now you're banking on Kansas State and you're banking on Texas. And I love Kansas State. I I think I'm going to be rooting for them because I love watching that game. I thought the best game of the weekend was Kentucky-Kansas State. Uh, I mean, you could you could make a case for Furman, right? Because that's the only like thing close to a buzzer beater we had. The Memphis FAU game got kind of spoiled based off of a, a shitty call at the end of that game. But I, I honest to God, like I think if you're talking about like who's a bigger disappointment from a conference standpoint, the Big Ten or the Big Twelve, it has to be the Big Twelve. The Big Twelve is the one who had all the expectations. The Big Ten, sadly, this is what the Big Ten is. Like the Big Ten is this every year. Right. There are big time programs with big time names. They get a few recruits, a couple of which will go see play in the in the NBA. But for the most part, they're playing a completely different brand of basketball. And now we're sitting here at the end and it's like we have one Pac-12 team. We have one Big Ten team. We have two. Uh, we have two Big 12 teams. And then what we have uh, two three SEC, SEC teams. teams, three. Who's the who's three. the third? Alabama, uh, Arkansas, yeah, Alabama, and and Tennessee, and Tennessee, yeah. right? Houston's the American. My, we have one ACC team, uh, two two Big Twelve, two Big East, three big, you know, two Big East teams: Xavier, Creighton, and then you have oh, and UConn. So three Big East teams, right? You know, UConn's the American, isn't it? Anymore? Uh, no, Utah, UConn's still Big East in basketball. Yeah, because UConn's yeah, cause, yeah, because yeah, because UConn still plays. Uh, I think football they're independent actually. They seceded from the American, um, but they're they're basketball yeah because they play in Madison Square Garden for the Big East tournament every year. So you have three Big East teams, you have three SEC teams, one team from the American, one team from the ACC, one team from the Ivy League, one team from the Big East. What is FAU in? This conference USA. Conference USA. There you go. Uh, one Conference USA team, uh, and then you have Gonzaga and um, West Coast. Yeah, and you have you have the West Coast Conference. It's just weird, man. It's just I don't know. I do. You, would you agree with me at least by that statement? I think it's a bigger disappointment for the Big Twelve to not have to only have two teams remaining at this point than it is for the Big Ten to only have one. Yeah, when you when you go through an entire season and and you're the conference talked about that is the the end all be all of college basketball, you expect to get nine to ten teams there. You expect to have those teams advance deep in the tournament. I think what was the lowest Big Twelve seat in in the tournament? An eight? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I don't think they had a double digit seat. Uh, th- yeah, I don't think they were either. So uh, clearly, the committee. Who, who the selection committee for the tournament said, this is clearly the best conference in the, in the country. Um, and 
they get on the floor and, and, you know, a couple of tough matchups, uh, you know, I, I, for, for Kansas that, that running into to Arkansas on the must bus, that was, that was a rough go without their, uh, their head coach there on the floor. Um, but you know, it's, it's an expectation. And, and I think, um, when it boils down to it, the stand, and again, NIL, the, the path to the NBA has a lot to do with this. Um, I think, but that, that is, it's just a stepping stone, right? Obviously these guys want to win. They want to be at the top of their game, but if Baylor loses in the, uh, in the second round, eh, no skin off my ass. I'm going to the NBA. What difference does it make? You know what? And that's the thing. It's like, but it's not even like the big 12 has a ton of like, elite level lottery pick type of talent, especially as we've seen, like a lot of the lottery talent nowadays is coming from, you know, either overseas or playing in the G league, you G know, league, yeah. like scoot, scoot, right. He's the guy who's going to be the second overall pick uh, or he, he it's him, Brandon Miller. And then obviously Victor Wembanyama. Um, but you're getting guys who are international you have guys playing in the G league. Uh, I mean, Brandon Miller is probably like, I mean, you know, you had Jabari Smith last year. It feels like a lot of the top lottery talent is going to the sec. Uh, and look, the sec, look, they still have three teams left in it. Um, but also this has been an overachieving year for Tennessee and, and they basically had no expectations going into this tournament because they were so banged up and now they have a legitimate chance to get to the, I mean, they could get to the final four like Tennessee without their best player could get to the final four. I mean, Kansas There's state, Michigan state, yep. right. Cause they got to get through FAU, which Tennessee's favored in that matchup. And then they're going to go up against Kansas state or Michigan state. I think both of those are winnable games. If you're Tennessee, right. Uh, Kansas state, I think would be tougher. I think, I think Kansas state's my pick to get to the final four there. So like, if you look, if you are the big 12 and you say, look, we have Kansas state and we also have Texas, there's a good chance that in two weeks we're sitting here or by the end of this week, I should say a week from now, we're talking about two big 12 teams in the final four, right? And which point this conversation will seem dumb, but the fact that the lowest seed you had was a six seed. You nine. had six. I, I just looked. Uh, Who was the nine? This was a nine at West Virginia. Oh, and West Virginia. I forgot West Virginia is a Big Twelve team. So they yep. had. So they had seven teams in the tournament. The lowest being a nine. The next lowest being a six. And they had two six seeds in TCU and Iowa State. They have a two seed. They had a one seed. They had uh, a three seed. Like. This was, I felt like the year for, I mean, I guess you could say, look, two years ago, Baylor wins the whole thing. The last year, Kansas wins the whole thing. So it's like, yeah, the big 12 should be the premier conference. Um, But I think based off of expectations going into this tournament, I feel like they underachieved. I did. I agree. Um, Well, too, part of it too, to me is, is not only when, when, so the top of the conference uh, the Kansases, the, the, um, the Baylors of the world, uh, those guys are playing in non-conference schedule. That is absolutely ridiculous. They're, they're playing some of these teams that are on the, the one, two, and three line, like yeah. in the, in the non-conference schedule. So not only do you, have you already played that elite competition, which even drives our expectations further to be like, I don't understand how you can't perform in the second round of the tournament, uh, when it counts. Um, to me, part of it too is, you know, obviously in com- that conference I, above probably more than any from top to bottom has the same identity uh, yeah. as, in terms of style of play. And so they're all playing each other that way. Then they get to another matchup against a, a, a just a, like unfortunate matchups in the tournament. Plus, if you if you want to think about this from a talent level perspective, like look at all the guys that are, that are transferring, right. Guys that buy into that identity, go to the big 12 school. Hey, this is going to be my opportunity because it's the best conference in the country. Don't get playing time. So I'm going to go to one of these mid majors who we see make some runs at the, at the tournament, whether they fall short in their conference tournament uh, or, or make it into the NC2A tournament and, and lose in the first round or, or move on. So I think some of these guys, um, you know, the transfer portal uh, rather has, has a, has a lot to do with that too. Well, and I think that's the thing that's actually made college basketball better is it feels like, yeah, you're getting some transfers, but it definitely doesn't feel as prolific as we've seen in college football. And NIL has actually helped keep a lot of these guys around longer, right? Guys who are borderline, just because the the NFL draft, you have more hope of getting drafted because you have Mm -hmm. seven rounds, you have the undrafted free agent process. 
it is so hard to get signed on to an NBA roster. And it is so hard, uh, especially when you're competing with the international pool, with the G League, and then with all these older veteran guys that hang around the NBA and take up roster spots without getting any minutes. It feels that much more difficult to actually make an NBA or even a G League roster yeah. than it has in years past, so you're like saying, like, hey, well, I can stick around and make some money if we go on a run like that, like Noel. Like, I think he's got one more year left. I mean, Drew Timmy's obviously the ultimate example of this is a guy who's just going to hang around because his NBA prospects seem to be limited. Doctor Timmy, yeah, he's probably got exactly, a PhD yeah. at this point. But if you're Noel, like, you're going on an all-time run. You could take your team to the Final Four pretty easily by beating, you know, Michigan State this weekend. And then taking on the winner of FAU and Tennessee, either one, I think mm-hmm. Kansas State would be favored in all three of the matchups with teams remaining in their bracket. It yeah, is dude, true. You're going to get some serious coin, right? And with yeah. his size, for as good as his handles is and his shot making stuff, he's going to struggle at the next level. He is. So stick around a, a year longer, right? Collect those NIL paychecks and and go do something awesome in college basketball. And so the the, the shot making that stuff definitely has seemed like it's a little bit lower in this tournament, but it's also been a really fun tournament in that, like, it feels like we're kind of at this point where the last 16 teams are all teams that you could see. Like, I feel like I could make a case for every single team remaining to get to the final four. Maybe not Princeton. I don't think Princeton is beating Alabama, (laughs) but never know every other team. I could make a case for them getting to the final four. UCLA, Gonzaga, UConn, Arkansas, any of those four can get out of that bracket. Texas, Texas, Xavier, Miami, Houston, any of those four can get out. Kansas State, Michigan State, Tennessee, maybe not FAU. Um, but also, if you told me FAU made the Final Four, with the way that that kid played, I forget his name, um, but the kid who went off in that game against Fairleigh Dickinson yesterday. John L. Uh, Smith, I believe. Yeah. Dude, like, that kid John was L. a stud. Yeah, John L. Smith. He had he had a stat line I heard that was like the first time ever that there was a player with over 20 points, over 10 rebounds, over five assists, and over five steals. First time in, N- in NCAA tournament history. I mean, that's – Davis, sorry. Yeah, Davis, <laughs> thank you. That's an, that's an all-time stat to hold. I mean, what a, like what a stud, right? And you're going against Tennessee who's banged up. They could get past Tennessee. Um, I don't think they will. But they also, with their win over FDU, that was their 33rd win of the season. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to win 30 games. It doesn't matter what conference you play in. It's hard to win 30 wins. Yeah. 33 is even more fucking yeah. impressive. Right. And now they're sitting there dancing. So I, I think it's really, really fun um, to, to see where we're at in college basketball right now, despite the fact that, look, is it the highest quality of basketball? No. Especially if you go from watching the NBA. And the shot making ability at that level right now, compared to the shot making we saw this past weekend, it is it looks like two different sports at this point. Um, but there is something very exciting and, and lovable about what we're seeing here um, and, and what we're seeing from this level of basketball. And I'm, yeah. I'm here for it. Um, I agree, too. I, I, I think, you know, like we said at the at the preview, I think there's going to be a lot of chaos leading up to it. Uh, and in the end, it's it's going to be what we thought were the best two. We saw the same thing in football this this past season, right? It was chaos uh, until the, the college football playoff and even including the college football playoff. And, and then in the end, it was like, well, the best team that we thought all year long won the championship. And that Canada very team. that very well might happen. Like there's a very realistic chance we have Alabama and Houston uh, playing here. But with the way Miami was making shots, if they shoot like that against Houston – I don't think Houston yeah, wins that. I don't think Houston wins that game. I, really I agree, don't. but then you get the the round before Isaiah Wong going to shoot a one for ten. <laughs> like which Miami yeah. are we going to get? A hundred percent. You know Drake damn near won that game. I mean Drake yeah. Drake was winning at points in that game. But I look at a team like Indiana, and Indiana is very similar to Houston, right? Like really strong fundamental defense, good rebounding team, can make some shots, gets to the rim. But Miami was just so hot from three, it was impossible. So, yeah, what version do we see on Thursday night with with Houston and Miami? Do we see the version of Miami that's just pouring in bucket after bucket from deep? Because if we do, I think they beat Houston because Houston hasn't looked all that impressive. They turned it on the second half against Auburn, but Auburn also went. I think they only made like two shots through the first 15 minutes of the second half. Uh, Houston or Auburn played terrible in the second half against Houston. So Miami. They just got to keep pouring in shots, 
right? They can put up 83 against Indiana. They are 85 against Indiana. They can put up 75, 80 against Houston. And I don't know if Houston has the firepower offensively to hang with that, especially if Miami's making their shots. Um, even a team like San Diego State, which like I know they were playing Furman in the second round and they did look awesome against Charleston. The confidence they played with in round two, like after they got by the first round jitters, like that San Diego State team is dangerous and they are long and athletic and they could they will be able to challenge Alabama around the perimeter. I don't think they have enough to get by them. Uh, I, I would say the same thing with Creighton. Like I think Creighton could could put a little bit of fear in Alabama. I don't think either that either that's going to happen. I think Alabama's got a pretty comfortable road to the Final Four, but the rest of it just feels like you could make the case for anybody. Um, after Alabama, who would you give that second spot to? Houston. Um, like, is it is it clear enough in your head that Houston is the second best team at this point? No, it's not. Not the ways that they've played. I think there's a there's a handful of teams that you could make two A through two E. You know, yeah. Um, because Houston, for for as good as they were in the regular season, I mean, I mean, they played really good basketball. Kelvin Sampson always does an amazing job with with those teams. Of course, they went to the Final Four what two years ago, or uh, yeah, two years ago, and and the Elite Eight last year. I, I just they haven't proven to me. Uh, for as good as they looked all regular season long, that they that's the team that we're getting in the through the first two games of the tournament. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing with Houston too, is it's just like I know they played a couple of tough out of conference schedule games and they played a couple of power six teams out of conference, but for the most part, like Houston hasn't really been tested. And I, I thought their bounce back against Auburn in the second half was really telling about the makeup of that team. Uh, which is why I think they are still probably the favorites to get out of that region. But I'll tell you what, like if they had to play UConn instead of Miami in the sweet 16, I think I would take UConn. Yeah. Well, that's that. I, I was looking at my bracket here. I think UConn is, is one of those, if we're going two a through two E, I, I UConn's like two B or C Yeah, uh, to me, even they, if, they dude, are even dominant. If TC, even if TCU had gotten that five C in that region instead of Miami, I think TCU, it, I would probably pick TCU to win that game against Houston mm-hmm. the way that they look. Yeah. I think Gonzaga could beat Houston, right? And, and to your point, like, yeah, it's, it is. It's it's 2A through 2E uh, and, and potentially even longer because Kansas State, like Kentucky had that game wrapped up multiple times yesterday. And yeah. Kansas State just kept fighting back and they have a clearly defined leader. They have the, the, the senior point guard who is an absolute fucking baller. Who's fast as all hell, super explosive can get to the rim. Um, they had a really cool story about him because Tyler Ulis, the famous Kentucky guard is on staff at Kentucky now. And uh, Noel apparently a couple of years ago reached out to him on social media asking and, and Tyler Ulis famously being an undersized guard, um, and ask Tyler Eulis, like, hey, what do I have to do to get my game to the next level? Like, I want to be like what you were. How do I get to that point? And Tyler Eulis, like, helped him out. And they, like, worked on some stuff, which I thought was really cool. And to see their two nice. teams square off in the second round was really fun. Yeah. Obviously came back to bite Tyler Eulis a little bit, being on Kentucky staff. You know, the, but- the, other, uh, the other good story about uh, this Kansas State team, which I, I love this team, uh, by the way. Keontae Keontae Johnson, Keontae Johnson yeah. man. Remember a couple of years ago, he, he had a cardiac arrest on the floor yeah. uh, when he was playing with Florida. Um, obviously, because of uh, liability, he couldn't play at Florida anymore. He enters a transfer portal, finds himself at Kansas State. And here he is making a huge three in the game in the yeah. second round to put yeah. Kansas and he State was, on, and he on was top. Really, he was big in the first game against Montana State. Had a really, really quiet second-round game until Kentucky until the very end. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be really important in that matchup against Michigan State. I still think the size for Kansas State will be a problem. Michigan State basically completely changing the way that they played in that game against Marquette and just using the size advantage, using the, the domination on the glass – that's got to be one of those games on on Thursday that I'm I'm most excited to see. I think that's going to be a really really fun matchup. Um, it's going to be fun, man. It's going to be yeah. fun. Uh, if you were to pick right now, second chance bracket, who do you, who do you have getting to the final four from what we have left? Uh, I'm going to stick with Alabama. I'll do. Um, let's go Alabama out of the South. Yukon uh, out of the West. Uh, I'm going to go Xavier out of the Midwest. 
and uh jeez, oh, who should I take out of the east? Um screw it. Uh Florida Atlantic. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I Florida because Atlantic I think any one look. of those four teams can that are left I, FAU, they, Tennessee, they could, Kansas State, like, and Michigan State. Fairly Dickinson arguably should have won that game. Like they had just a couple of really bad possessions in the last five minutes of that game that kind of iced them out of it. Um, so I think FAU and Princeton are the, the two obvious ones to kind of take out of it. Um, I'm worried about Arkansas coming back after an emotional win. That team seems to fluctuate with emotions a lot, and they obviously rode them high to get to the win against Kansas. I don't see them getting through. UConn's tough, man. Like, yeah. They can I shoot. also, like, I know you, like, everyone has just forgotten about UCLA because of the injuries. And, like, the win against Northwestern ended up being a little closer than the final. The final score was closer than what the game was actually like. Um I kind of like UCLA to get out. Like, I think UCLA is going to beat Gonzaga. I love the rematch there from the Final Four a couple of years ago. So, you know, Gonzaga and Drew Timmy's going to have revenge on the brain. Um, but I mean, UConn has looked like the best team in that bracket right now. Yeah. So, I, I'm going to be with – I'm going to say UConn gets out of the West. Out of the East, I'm rolling with Kansas State. I, I do. I think Kansas State's been the best team in that yeah. that that region so far. Um I'm worried about Tennessee holding up, but I'll tell you what, if Tennessee continues to play that bully ball stuff, man, where they're like, Hey, fuck it. We don't have talent. So we're going to make your life a living hell. Every time you get to our end of the court, no team, Kansas state, Michigan state, FAU, no one wants to mess with that, including Alabama. Um, and so, I, but I am going to roll. I do think Kansas state gets out. Cause I just love the way that team's playing Alabama out of the uh, South and out of the Midwest. I think I'm going to mm, – I don't want to gamble on the shot making, but I think it's going to be Miami. Mm. Now, let me rephrase. I think Miami's going to be the pick that everybody makes. I think everyone's going to – because Miami was so good in that. I, I Xavier's probably the right pick. I'm going to, But I'm going to take Texas. I'm going to keep with my original pick to win the national championship. I'm going to take Texas um, because, you know what, Texas has been, I think, the most consistent through two games. Right. They've kind of just played their style of game. They've been able to score. I know the Penn State game got close at certain points, but it never really felt like Penn State was fully ever back in that game. It felt like Texas had control of that from start to finish, uh, which I think is a sign of a championship team. Whereas, like, I didn't feel that way about uh, Houston and Auburn in the first half, even Houston and Northern Kentucky in the first half. I felt worried about them. So I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, and Xavier against Kennesaw, Kennesaw State. State. Game, yeah. I mean, Kennesaw State felt like they kind of blew that game away, and then Xavier comes out and blows Pitt out of the water. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Texas. Texas, Bama, uh, Kansas State, and uh, we're going to go with UConn coming out of the West. All right. Uh, any changes to the national championship? I mean, I still have my two teams left from the national championship. I had Texas and Alabama. I, I still think those is, is the most likely outcome we're going to see. Uh, maybe Texas or maybe Alabama and Houston, but I, I, mine would have to. So I would say Alabama, UConn would be my only change. Yeah. Alabama. Yeah. It'd be fun. Texas and UConn would be a really fun game. That'd be oh, an yeah. awesome final four game. All right. Let's take a quick break. Uh, on the other side, uh, we're going to switch up here, do a little bit different than we normally ever really done on the podcast. But like I said before, Scotty saw the boss, my favorite musician, arguably of all time. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, and we'll get you guys on your way to the rest of your week. So hang around, be right back. All right. So this is definitely different than normally normal stuff we would do on the pod. But uh, you sent me a video last uh, Friday, Saturday night of you in, was it the basketball arena? Yeah. The Bryce Jordan Center. Bryce the Jordan beach. Center. In, uh, which is, I can't believe he went to state college of all places, man. That's a, that's a, that's a cool venue to see Bruce too. Cause it's well, small. Yeah. Normally you're resulted to seeing like him at like basketball or uh, like baseball fields or like football stadiums. You don't typically get to see him in smaller venues like that. So really, really cool experience. You saw the boss, uh, for everyone who doesn't know that is I've said it on the pod earlier is my favorite artist, arguably of all time. The guy I grew up listening with my dad. Uh, I also, my first concert ever was a Springsteen concert. So I knew you were going to go see him this weekend and I can't wait to hear about it. We intentionally, you sent me a video and, uh, and I said, I was like, Oh my God, like, how was it? And you were like, dude, like easily a top five concert I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm not trying to step down. on your answer, 
But like, I, t- I text you back. I was like, don't tell me anything else. We're going to save it for the pod. So break it down for me, man. How was it uh, seeing the boss in your college town of all places too? Had to been well, unreal. Unreal. Yeah, experience. it was, it was great. Um, you know, we, we went up to, to Penn state because, um, you know, we, uh, this is one of the the things I asked for for Christmas. And it was, you know, one of the, the gifts that like you put on the list and like, if you don't get it, you don't get it. I wasn't anticipating anything. Um, and I kept checking ticket prices. Uh, look, Bruce Springsteen, 72, who knows how many times he's going to tour again. Right. So, yeah. um, that probably was, and he hasn't been on tour for, for quite some time. He had that Netflix special for a while. He did a Broadway show and, uh, and, uh, so he hasn't been touring with the E street band for a while. Um, so that probably explains some of it. We looked in Washington, they were out of bounds, expensive. We looked in Philly out of bounds, expensive, all drivable places, but uh, my wife happened to look in state college and, uh, and that was my Christmas gift, uh, from her, uh, this year. So thank you song for the opportunity. Um, but it was also the first time in four years that we had been to state college. First time since we've been married, we went the month before we got married to, wow. uh, to a football game, hadn't been to state college since because of COVID and, and everything else. So, um, so that was that in, in and of itself was an experience, um, ended up we were downtown at one point ended up taking the bus back up from downtown up um, onto back on the campus to get to the, to the Bryce Jordan center to watch the concert. And there were some freshmen there and I was like, Oh dear, I'm almost legitimately double your age. So yeah. You're ancient. Was, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was a great time being back in, in state college and on state uh, St. Patrick's day weekend with the bar we went to. And, and I'm sure that there was a ton of alum, alumni here for the concert. Um, but the bar we went to, uh, we all had the same idea. I was like, Oh, let's all go to the second because it'll be less crowded and devoid of college students yeah. because of the menus. <laughs> and I, all the alumni had the same idea. It was packed with, uh, with alumni. Everybody's talking about going to the show. So uh, we all, we all uh, were on the same page there. So we get to the show. Uh, doors open. Uh, it was far too cold to tailgate. So we just went to bars downtown. Um, doors open at, uh, I think it was like an hour, an hour and a half before the show. We get in, we had plenty of time to get some food, get some merchandise, got a t-shirt, nice little koozie, uh, and, and have a, a couple of a drinks before the show even started. So, um, we get there, he's right on time. Prompt started right at seven, a little after seven 30. Um, and opens up with no surrender. And I was like, mm. and so the way they filed out, it was each of the band members individually. So you got all the, the backup vocalists uh, and then, um, then all the originals from the E street band start coming out. And then Steve comes out the, uh, the original, uh, uh, rhythm guitarist. And then you knew what was coming next. Oh, of course. And the boss walks out with the telecaster in hand, uh, ready to rip. And I, I started, tears rolling down my eyes and my wife of course was filming me doing this and i was like it was just surreal like that i was x amount of hundred of feet away from him you know yeah um so so that was cool just to start out uh the show and then obviously the show was unbelievable it's it's so funny man because like i i first time i saw him was in 2011 2010 no was it i know it was fall of 2009 was the first time I saw Bruce. Um, is that, yeah, I think it was fall of 09 or spring 10. It was one of those two. Um, it was, a, I mean, it was a long time ago and it was the same, like the, just the way you described it, right? Like one by one, right. You get like the backup singers and, and some of the other people he's added to the band over the years. Uh, I was lucky enough to see Clarence, who was the original yeah. saxophone player. His nephew is now the saxophone player now. Which, who was incredible. Who was awesome. Yeah. Kicks is, is such a perfect you know, fill and in. they did a nice little montage when they did 10th Avenue freeze out. So I was going to ask you, cause the second time I saw him, <laughs> it was after Clarence passed and yeah, they had him come out, right. The sugar tent when the big man joined the band. Yeah. And then it's just that, like, you know, that, that line, you know, that saxophone drop comes in and he had just passed when I saw him and he hits that line when the big man joins the band and points up and the whole band cut. I don't know if they did that for you, but the whole band cut at that no. point and it was just ovation. It was just everybody in the stadium going nuts with no music for about like a solid 30 seconds. Wow. And then he cues in, I think his name's Jake. 
uh, who's the, the saxophone player to come back in. But it's just so funny to hear like your experience. Like he knows he's so good at this, right? He's so yeah. such a good showman. He has this down to a science. Anyone who's seen him before, it's like, it doesn't matter if you've seen him do it. The anticipation is still the same. But then for people like yourself who see him for the first time, that moment when it's like you're leading up to it and you see Miami Steve and you see Max Weinberg and you see all these guys from the original mm-hmm. from the band slowly start to come up. And then, yeah, that moment where it's just like that. And then it's just into like, what's he going to play first? What's he going to play first? Like it's an unrivaled feeling. And I feel it gets that way. Anytime you see a, a musician yeah. that you really, really like, but again, when it's someone like Bruce, it's just the, the energy is just different. Uh, how long did he play? It was uh, it was legitimately almost three hours. And yeah. Bruce didn't stop like the no. band got breaks. But every time the band got a break, he was doing something uh, on the acoustic guitar. Uh, wow. By himself. He of, he so he did here. not stop. Yeah, it was it was great, man. Uh, a couple of covers, uh, the tour debut of of Hungry Heart, which is one of my favorite songs. Oh, he did uh, Hungry he, Heart. He Love it. Most of the set was uh, was Darkness on the Edge of Town. My second mm. favorite album. Um Incredible, incredible stuff. But it was a good mix. There was some from the from his first album, a, a couple from yeah. Born in the USA, a couple from the uh, from the River. Um, but again, mostly uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town. And it was a great set. Period. Point blank. Before he he got before, to the encore. Yeah, before the encore. Yeah. Bruce's the encore encores are songs. legendary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did he do? Did he do Twist and Shout? No, he did not. The encore <sighs> was all the the big hits: Thunder Road, Born to Run. Yeah. Uh, rosalito which i sent to you your your family's favorite of course, of uh, course. and there was something cathartic uh and and just uh chill inducing hearing at my alma mater my college my formative years this place where i spent them hearing him play glory days at hey, penn state i was like that is this true. hits so hard right now <laughs> yeah it, it it shakes you a little bit differently doing glory days like that than than doing it that's so awesome no, yeah. I, so I, cause he, he went, he's done his first stretch when he does encores, he'll mix in twist and shout every once in a while. Um, great story. My, my dad says it's still the, his, he'll say like his favorite concert was still like the first time he and I saw Bruce. Cause he was, he was closing out the spectrum, which is where the flyers and the Sixers yeah. played. Uh, and he was like the last concert. It was like a couple, it was a couple months before they were tearing it down. Um, and he did born to run cover to cover. He was doing full albums mm. in their entirety on that tour he played out in the street it was like the second or third song which is my favorite song of all time not just bruce just my favorite song point blank of all time uh but my dad he says, played that on this tour yeah he he plays it on every tour it's become a fan favorite it's off of um the river uh but it's my favorite album <laughs> it's a great which is a great album um my dad said you know so my dad saw bruce the night that john lennon got shot and it was in he was in Philly and it was a tour where he was opening up with Born to Run. Like it was a known thing. He opened up with Born to Run every single show and he comes out that night and the whole band is in all black suits. And, he, you know, he comes in and the crowd's going nuts. Right. He walks out, like you were saying, and he just puts his hand up and the whole place gets quiet, like de- like you could hear a pin drop and just goes, oh, one, two, I'll shake it up, baby. Now. And they went into Twist and Shout. So that's been a staple that they've kind of pulled back from time to time. Um, multiple members of the band, including Miami Steve, have said that's the most memorable concert they've ever done. Uh, so very cool one to be a part of. But the yeah. beauty about Bruce is just that every concert you go to feels like it's the most memorable concert. Like he does such an amazing job of of sucking you in to like what he does live, you know, and even people who aren't Bruce fans. Right. Because I've, I've, I've had this you know, this theory for years. Like if you're a big Pink Floyd fan, you hate Bruce. If you're a big Bruce fan, you hate Pink Floyd. Like there is like the cross section of Pink Floyd and Bruce is there's not a lot of people. All right. There's obviously some, but like for the most part, like it's not a very different like groups of people in terms of like that, especially that era. When you go back to like the seventies and the eighties, people Mm -hmm. who loved Bruce and versus Pink Floyd are very different. Um, but people who even aren't Bruce fans who get a chance to go, they always come back and say the same thing. Like, my God, like he's just, he's unbelievable. You know, like you may never sit down and listen to Bruce. You may never, I, Rosillo was actually just talking about this on his podcast, like, like last week about like, he's like, yeah, like I might never go. Like, he's like, I've never felt the urge to sit down and put on Springsteen. And like when I'm sitting at home or whatever, he's like, but I saw him, 
I saw him live, I had an opportunity to go, and I was like, yeah, I get it. Like everything about this yeah. is amazing. It's an incredible and show. I'd say that's word for word what my what my wife said. She went through most of the the set, uh, the main set, and she recognized maybe one or two songs here and there. Um, you know, just in in passing that I've played. But then he gets to the encore, and she was like, "Oh, I know these." But um, but in the uh, in the main set, even so- stuff she didn't know. There was one point, I think, about six or seven songs. I think it was honestly right after um, um, "Out in the Street." She looks at me and goes, "I get it." Yeah, and and I was like, "Yeah, I did right." <laughs> it's just there's a he's it, there's a magnetism to the the band itself. Like, never gets the credit for how good they are. They've actually Super been tight. Yeah, they've been inducted separately to the rock and roll hall of fame. It's like Bruce got in years ago, but then the E street band got their own induction because they are like that good. And, and he's so meticulous. There's a great documentary um, about the making of darkness on the edge of town that he released in like a DVD box set. And I don't think you can, I'm sure there's somewhere you can stream it. Um, But I remember my dad getting that for Christmas one year and watching and seeing all the step-by-step stuff of how meticulous he was about the sound of a snare. Right. Where he's in the bat, he's in the, the sound studio waiting to hear like 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 listening and, and Max Weinberg like hit the snare and he goes again, he's, hits the snare a little bit different again and like waiting over and over to get that one sample, that one sound that is so precise that to all of us sounds like, oh, that's just a snare drum to him. Like he can hear that little minute difference into it and apply it. Um, what were the what were your top? Could you do top five or do you, can you do at least top three favorite songs from that you saw live? Uh, man, maybe top three to, and honorable mentions. Try to remember the or end moments, was, like things the that end just was stuck insane. Out to um, I mean, obviously the the big thing that stuck out to me is when he first came out on the stage. We we've established that I I kind of lost my shit, but I I stood the whole time. There was there was not a time that I sat down. Um, there was a couple of of lows. There was one Nebraska song you played where I was like, all right, time to go to the bathroom and get a beer. Yep, yep, uh, yep. <laughs> And um, uh, Johnny 99, that was the song off Nebraska, but um, it was all, it was all good. Backstreets was, was Mm. great. That's one of those Um, songs that live is, is it hits so much better live than the recording does. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Uh, Backstreets was great. Opening with no surrender was phenomenal because that just got everybody vibing. Um, He played hungry heart for the, uh, for the first time on tour. Um, which was awesome. Um, I love that song. Such a um, good song. Um, what else? He did a cover of the Night Shift by the Commodores, which was excellent. Ooh. Yeah, it was really, really good. Um, uh, what else? Uh, Badlands is what what wrapped up the uh, the main set. Um, yeah, which That's, which was what's, exciting it's so and energetic. Great. It's so great when he does that because it means that like you know the encore is coming and it's like I'm gonna give you one of my big hits. That everyone knows that everyone's gonna get hyped for it, and it's like a little teaser for what's to come because it's like, all right, he played this, then you know the big, big stuff is coming on the other end. And it was crazy, you know how for for most encores, it's just uh, they they turn down the lights, um, but everybody's still cheering there, and it's a good, you know, two, three, four minutes before the band comes out. No, 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 man, this was Badlands is over. They wrap up, give a bow, lights go down. It couldn't have been 30 seconds before you hear that. And does in the Born to Run. Yep. Um, and it was Born to Run, Thunder Road, Rosalita, uh, Glory Days. Back to back to back to back. That was that Glory was... Days in the college town. I guarantee you that was intentional. Because normally, I don't think he would normally close with with Glory Days. Um, or even put Glory Days after those those songs. But I think doing that at the end, was, he's like, hey, I'm in a college town. I know there's people who are coming back as alumni here. Like, that seems a very like a very calculated Bruce move to, to play that yeah. there. Yeah, I think it was, um, you know, targeted at people exactly like me. Uh, and then it kind of the the energy of the the um, encore kind of wound down. It went into Dancing in the Dark, 10th Avenue Freeze Out, which was fun. Um, and then he, everybody else went off stage. That was the last we saw of the band. And then he played uh, uh, off of uh, Letter to You, which is one of his new albums. It was an acoustic uh, version of I'll See You in My Dreams, which was kind of like, are you done touring, man? Like, Yeah, right. Is this like his you... letter to fans? <laughs> oh, yeah. And because and, uh, we turned down tickets because we got into the pre-sale 
stuff. And it was only like 150 bucks. Like it actually wasn't terrible to go get them. And we ended up saying, we ended up passing on it. My, me and, and my girlfriend. Um, and now I'm kind of regretting it. Cause if this yeah. is the last one, dude, like that would, that would suck. <clears throat> yeah. But you know, for a 72 years old, he's in much better shape than me. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if they went back on tour again, but uh, the way he ended it, I was just kind of like, no, is this a message? Yeah. Like <laughs> that's interesting. don't die ever. <laughs> You're never allowed to die, Bruce. You, ha- you well, have the, to that was the thing. T- like immortal. the fact that it was like an acoustic song, it was just him in a spotlight with an acoustic guitar and the video montage they were playing behind it. I was like, it does. Are we at a that funeral does right feel, now, man. Like that what does you- <laughs> feel very much like a, like I'm sending out. Oh no. Oh, if that's the last one, that'll, I'll never forgive myself if he never, I mean, I've seen him twice, so I guess I can't, I can't be too bummed, but man, what a, what an experience. What a concert, it a, dude. It was a ton of fun, man. Ton well, of fun. I'm, I'm happy for you. Uh, for anyone out there who hasn't gotten the chance to see him, if he's coming to your town, even if you're not a big fan, in case this is the last run, do it, spend the money. I, I promise you it'll be worth it. I promise you'll walk away and be like, damn, that was awesome. Go to Spotify and listen to the greatest hits. There'll be stuff that you know. There'll be other stuff that you don't that you'll still jam along and, and sing along with, and you'll you'll love it because it's he's in my for my money. I mean, him and Garth. I, I saw Garth Brooks live. Uh, Garth was everything I thought he would be, and then some. Um, but I, I I mean, him and Bruce are are in my in my for my money at least the the two best performers uh, I've ever seen. Uh, also sneakily, Ed Sheeran. Just gonna throw that out there. Hmm. And he's he's yeah. gonna be going on a tour here soon. So uh, if you want a more contemporary artist, but uh, I mean Bruce, is, he's the boss for a reason, man. Yeah, and, man. Uh, top, hope- like I said, top five shows. I've seen a lot of shows. I grew yeah. up like in this world, and especially growing up in San Francisco, of going to just a ton of shows uh, because music has always been a big part of my family, like it has with yours. So yeah, seen a lot of good shows. A lot of a uh, lot of these uh, groups who are now old. Uh, well, they were old to me even back then, but. Uh, talking about 60s and, and 70s artists that um, it's uh, it, they're they're aging and it might be approaching their last car around, but uh, it's worth it. I mean, Elton John, seen, like Elton John just did that. Yeah, man. No longer touring. I'm kicking myself for never seeing him. That's another one. Uh, but of all the, the, the great music I've seen uh, easily, easily, easily a top five show that I've that's, ever been. And Maybe that's top co- three, probably yeah. top three. <laughs> and that's coming from a West coast kid. So you don't have to be from Philly or Jersey to love uh to love bruce i think his his performance and energy and everything about it is worth going to see so uh i'm glad you had a great time thank you for sharing that with us and thank you to everybody for listening uh we will be back we'll preview uh the sweet 16 when we have our next podcast we'll recap some more uh nfl free agency moves that we've had over the last week or so we'll kind of get a big collection of that going in we'll talk a little nba hoops as well here in the coming week or so so stay tuned got plenty more to come thank you all for listening as always we love you thank you to scotty shout out Vito. hit them straight down there in florida and we will talk to you guys on thursday probably probably another thursday pod so uh keeping an ear out we'll talk to you all soon and as always take it easy